Hi, I'm Abby, a functional dietitian and gut health expert. Hi, I'm Jillian, a functional dietitian that specializes in women's health and hormones. And this is Your Body Has Your Back podcast. Together, we have over 20 years of experience supporting clients in healing their gut and hormone symptoms and guiding them from overwhelm to ease in their body. We help clients reconnect with their body and transform their lives using targeted nutrition, lifestyle, and supplement therapies. Finding optimal health in our modern chaotic world is more challenging than ever. And now it's our mission to provide you with the tools you need to strengthen your relationship with your body, to resolve your gut and hormone symptoms, and become your greatest health advocate. Join us for honest, inspired and offbeat conversations on health that will leave you feeling empowered to take action so that that you can can trust your body has your back. Hello and a welcome. Today we are going to dive into all things alcohol with particular focus on alcohol's impact on our gut and hormone health, as well as exploring more concrete tools to support your body if you're someone who chooses to utilize alcohol, and big ideas to think and reflect on in our overall relationship with alcohol. Starting first with what happens when you consume alcohol. Alcohol can have some pretty diverse impacts on varying areas of health, so we wanted to give you the quick and dirty on how alcohol impacts some of our most significant areas, especially involving our gut and hormone health. And before we dive in for some context, we wanted to outline the difference between a social drinker and a heavy drinker, as those are the two distinguishers that we tend to see in most of the research. So social drinking is defined as an average of two standard drinks such as 24 ounces of regular beer, 10 ounces of wine, or two ounces of spirits, whereas a heavy drinker is defined for a man as consuming five or more drinks on any day or 15 or more per week, and for women consuming four or more on any day or eight drinks per week. So just a little context there. All right, so we're going to start with gut and digestion. So the saying, what happens in the gut doesn't stay in the gut is particularly true when it comes to alcohol. If consumed chronically and in larger amounts, alcohol induces a process initiated in the gut that disrupts the gut environment as well as promotes an inflammatory process throughout the greater body. Alcohol and its metabolites promote intestinal inflammation, including disrupting the gut microbiome, increasing the permeability of the intestinal lining or leaky gut, and affects the intestinal immune system. So studies show that alcohol promotes imbalances in both the good and the bad bacteria, known as dysbiosis, and this impact can contribute to an increase in opportunistic bacteria or bacterial overgrowth, which can play a big role in IBS-like conditions such as SIBO and drive symptoms like bloating, loose stools, constipation, and other chronic digestive conditions. These imbalanced bacterial populations can lead to an increase in the release of endotoxins, which are inflammatory products produced from these opportunistic bacteria that trigger the gut immune system and can promote inflammation. These inflammatory endotoxins don't only stay in the gut. These can pass through the gut barrier, especially in the presence of that gut permeability or leaky gut, and contribute to many of the non-GI symptoms, such as fatigue, brain fog, mood imbalances, hormone symptoms, sleep disruptions, and general aches and pains and other fun alcohol-induced symptoms. Alcohol can also impact effective digestion by reducing GI motility and suppressing the digestive chemicals that are needed to effectively break down, absorb, and regulate the gut environment as a whole. 
So the liver and the gut have a really close relationship, especially when it comes to bile, which arguably is one of our favorite uh, digestive substances. And it's incredibly important digestive chemical needed for fat digestion, gut motility, and it's a major self-cleaning mechanism of the gut that regulates the gut microbiome. Chronic alcohol intake can lead to a reduction in bile acid production, which impairs optimal digestion and can lead to bacterial dysbiosis, as well as impact effective digestion and motility, contributing to loose stools, constipation, bloating, gas, and more on a more chronic basis. Chronic alcohol consumption can also trigger gut permeability or leaky gut, which is when the protective barrier system of the gut is broken down, increasing the passage of inflammatory mediators, such as those endotoxins, from the gut into the systemic body. This process of leaky gut has shown to increase the burden on the liver, driving a greater increase in liver inflammation. And when chronic can result in liver damage and damage to other systemic organs in the body, such as the brain, contributing to things like neuroinflammation. So alcohol is also directly inflammatory to the cells that make up the intestines, causing cellular damage, ulcerations, and overall oxidative stress, all contributing to disruptions in the overall health of the gut environment. And lastly, alcohol affects the gut immune system. So by decreasing the innate immune response in the gut mucosal cells, and these cells are called paneth cells, that their role is to secrete antibacterial compounds. So when we suppress the secretion of those antibacterial compounds, we increase the susceptibility to intestinal pathogens such as bacterial overgrowth, as well as outside pathogens such as parasites. Alcohol upregulates the inflammatory response in the gut immune system, including a release of inflammatory immune cells such as leukocytes and mast cells, which can further drive IBS-like symptoms, as well as allergic-like symptoms such as hives, congestion, and many other histamine-driven symptoms. So overall, alcohol can be a major driver of gut and digestive symptoms, to say it simply. And I think many people who drink alcohol to varying, you know, kind of degrees and, and frequencies can relate to some of this in terms of, you know, digestive symptoms after alcohol or if there is an underlying gut condition or gut dynamics, you know, experiencing the amplification of those symptoms. And, you know, we're getting deep into the weeds here to, to really um, explain the why more so. But I think on a basic level, many, many people who could consume alcohol can relate. Oh, definitely. And I think it's kind of dependent upon the person. Like I will share personally, like any symptom in my body, if I'm going to have a symptom, it's going to be a digestive symptom. That's my Achilles heel of the body. So if I you know, have maybe an extra drink or two than my like typical threshold, it doesn't result necessarily in like a headache. It results in like my gut feeling like pretty uncomfy, kind of slow motility, like all of these kind of very much the symptoms that we just kind of outlined in that experience. So I think those of us that know like, oh, I get hung over my stomach or I get hung over my head or whatever those is, that's like a little bit of like, where's your Achilles heel in the body? And that's kind of where alcohol is like picking, picking the most on those symptoms. And I, and I think it's helpful for everyone to understand the why, why a little bit more so. So let's talk a little bit about alcohol and hormones. As a very quick refresher, since I feel like we haven't actually talked too much about hormones on here recently, hormones are chemical messengers in the body that control and coordinate the function of essentially all tissues and organs. Our hormone system, aka our endocrine system, is our body's internal communication network. 
So properly functioning hormones are responsible for controlling things like the production and use of energy, our libido, reproductive health, metabolic function, metabolism, uh, memory, cognition, heart health, and more. So hormones really kind of run run the show in the body and are involved with, you know, kind of every organ system reaction, essentially. We have over 50 different types of hormones in the body, but for the purpose of talking about alcohol uh, specifically today, I really want to hone in on talking about um, sex hormones, specifically our estrogen, testosterone, and our progesterone. Some of the big ways that alcohol impacts our sex hormones includes altering the function of hormone-releasing glands like the hypothalamus and pituitary glands. The hypothalamus in the brain is responsible for producing hormones like your gonadotropin-releasing hormone or your GNRH. GNRH is then going to stimulate the pituitary gland to release FSH and LH, your follicle-stimulating hormone and your luteinizing hormone. So both men and women, you know, have these hormones. And in women, FSH and LH stimulate the production of hormones like estrogen and progesterone in the ovaries. In men, FSH and LH stimulate the testes to produce testosterone. So this is a really important process in terms of the communication between the hypothalamus, the pituitary, and the ovaries, the hypothalamus, the pituitary, and the testes in in terms of producing um, appropriate amounts of these really important um, sex hormones. Research suggests that alcohol consumption can interfere with the production and secretion of GNRH. That, you know, hormone at the kind of top of the the cycle there that is released by the hypothalamus. So this can really have a ripple effect on the important hormones that, you know, one, govern the menstrual cycle for women, um, leading to hormone irregularities or imbalance, um, and also menstrual cycle irregularities. In men, chronic alcohol consumption is associated with lower levels of testosterone um, over time. So, you know, alcohol is really impacting, you know, these glands in the brain and the hormones that these glands secrete that have sort of a trickle down effect on, you know, all of these sex hormones in the body. Alcohol and metabolites of alcohol have been found to increase both natural and synthetic estrogens in the body. When we consume alcohol, this increases the aromatization of androgens to estrogen. So more androgens like testosterone, uh, for example, are going to be converted into estrogens, which can lead to higher circulating levels of estrogens in the body. So this is important because, you know, the aromatization of, of androgens to estrogens, you know, speaking to kind of for women in particular, in the ovaries, that is how estrogens are built. So, you know, estrogen is built from androgens via aromatization. So that's an important process. But what we're talking about here is actually alcohol increasing the aromatization of androgens to estrogen in the liver. So we're we're over aromatizing. We're creating too much estrogen and there's the accumulation of estrogen in the body to kind of drive this, this high estrogen load. Estrogen metabolism or estrogen breakdown in the liver is also significantly impaired with alcohol consumption, which can further contribute or, you know, drive elevated estrogen levels. 
So estrogen has to be broken down in the liver. Um, we talked a lot about this in the detoxification and, and drainage episode in season one, um, if you want to dive a little bit deeper there. But essentially, the liver is um, predominantly responsible for breaking down hormones and hormone waste products, as well as toxins, uh, metabolic waste products. But when alcohol is present in the body, the body is always going to prioritize breaking down this toxin first and foremost. It wants it out. And that is essentially going to put estrogen detox or clearance on the back burner so we can get the accumulation of estrogen in the body. So we have more androgens being converted into estrogens, and now we have the impaired clearance of estrogen. And this can really drive an estrogen excess or estrogen dominance um, dynamic. In uh, women of, of reproductive age and in practice, I see this manifest often as like really gnarly PMS symptoms. So a lot of like breast pain, tenderness, swelling, headaches, mood-related shifts, you know, bloating, skin issues. So all, all sorts of fun stuff. And uh, higher estrogen levels um, related to alcohol intake are also associated with a um, significant increase in the risk for est- estrogen-sensitive cancers like breast cancer. So an important one for um, women to think about and pay attention to. Some small studies also suggest that moderate alcohol consumption is also linked to decreased progesterone levels in premenopausal women. I will be honest, there is not a ton of research here. There's just not a ton of research on alcohol in cycling women in general. When women were you know, kind of mandated to be included in in research more frequently, like in the 90s, which was not that long ago, there were some small studies that have have come out, some interesting studies, but there hasn't been a lot. So there's still a lot we don't know here, but some research does suggest that the hormone progesterone is decreased with alcohol consumption. For anyone that's not familiar, progesterone is the hormone that you only produce after you ovulate. It's a really important hormone um, in terms of it being our calming hormone, our progestation hormone, meaning it's really important for fertility and conception. So some impacts there found in research. And alcohol also, in general, I just want to mention, is going to impact hormones, like through a negatively impact hormone through like a number of indirect mechanisms. So I'm talking about some of these direct mechanisms that we're seeing, but ultimately, and we'll we'll talk more about some of these in a minute, but, you know, alcohol is going to disrupt our sleep, our blood sugar, our nutrient absorption and metabolism, all of which are going to, you know, further impact, you know, our sex hormones and, and other hormones as well. Lastly, alcohol is pro-inflammatory. Um, Abby just talked a little bit about this in terms of, you know, the impacts on, you know, the gut and, you know, the immune system, inflammation, but alcohol is pro-inflammatory, you know, through its direct action on cells in the body, as well as inflammatory actions in the liver when the liver is metabolizing alcohol. And ultimately, inflammation is an underlying or contributing factor to many, many hormonal conditions and dynamics. So I'm thinking about, you know, PMS um, being, you know, having inflammatory components, PMDD, PCOS, endometriosis, infertility, infertility challenges. So alcohol can have that direct mechanism in terms of negatively impacting hormones, but it can also just be a big amplifier with worsening some of these um, conditions and symptoms, which I think is is just something to be aware of if these um, dynamics or conditions are relevant for you. When it comes to supporting gut health and hormones, balancing blood sugar is step number one. 
The foundations for supporting blood sugar balance that we discuss extensively on the podcast are an amazing place to start. But everyone is unique and really responds differently to nutrition and lifestyle changes. To get a clear sense of what's going on with your blood sugar and for understanding your unique response to nutrition and lifestyle strategies, we really love using Vary's Continuous Glucose Monitor. Vary pairs a CGM with an easy-to-use app that gives you the ability to understand how your nutrition and lifestyle habits are impacting your blood sugar. These insights can help you improve your digestion, hormone health, and metabolic health in a much more targeted way. If you're interested in testing out Very CGM and app to guide you with establishing supportive habits that improve your health, you can use code VSM-YBHYB or use the link in the show notes to enjoy $30 off your order. And as you know, now transitioning to talk about alcohol and blood sugar, you know from you know past episodes how uh, impactful blood sugar is to just to Jillian's point of to so many systems, including our hormones and our gut. So alcohol impacts blood sugar and insulin. And during and for several hours after drinking alcohol, your liver needs to break down the alcohol. And while your liver is processing alcohol, it stops releasing glucose. So as a result, your blood sugar level can stay low or even drop quickly. Uh, putting you at risk for low blood sugar or hypoglycemia, which can feel like shakiness, headaches, sweatiness, nausea, regular heartbeat, anxiety, and fatigue. This is where drinking without eating food puts you at a bigger risk for that low blood sugar impact. And the risk for the low blood sugar impact actually remains for several hours after you take your last drink. And the more drinks you have at one time, the higher risk. So that's the short term, what we can feel during kind of immediately upon drinking and several hours to even like the day after drinking. Overall though, chronically consuming alcohol leads to insulin resistance and elevated blood sugar in the long term. So chronic alcohol consumption is a risk factor for the development of type 2 diabetes and dysregulated metabolic function, which is another angle of how we can see this impact on our gut and our hormones through this dysregulated insulin and blood sugar dynamic. Yeah, I think the the blood sugar piece is really important um, because there are those immediate impacts as well as prolonged impacts or longer term impacts. And you know how much we love talking about blood sugar here, um, especially when it comes to blood sugar imbalance being a root cause driver of gut imbalances, hormone imbalances. So anything that is disrupting blood sugar, you know, is on Abby and my radar. We're, we're sniffing out the blood sugar disruptors. Absolutely. And we can, I mean, definitely, I think anyone that feels those sleep disruptions after drinking alcohol, a, a big driver of those sleep disruptions is actually kind of experiences of like low blood sugar. And then when blood sugar is low, we get a stress response from cortisol to mobilize more blood sugar from the liver. And then we get a blood sugar high and all of a sudden we're alert and awake at 3 a.m. in the morning and the liver's overwhelmed. And so it's a whole cascade of, you know, all of these dynamics are kind of happening at once. And certainly we can see that a little bit more acutely when we're wearing like a continuous blood glucose monitor, like something like Very provides, where you can actually watch what happens when you drink alcohol to your blood sugar, which is equally horrifying and fascinating. <laughs> It's so true. And, and it makes sense when you, when you think about it. And, you know, I think we sometimes forget the, the role the liver plays, um, in terms of regulating, you know, blood sugar and glucose homeostasis, but you know, it's, it makes sense that it would be disrupted. And I think a lot of us, again, can like feel that physically, you know, when we, when we do consume alcohol. 
And to dive into sleep a little bit more, alcohol definitely, definitely impacts sleep and sleep quality in a variety of ways. Alcohol is a central nervous system depressant, so it slows down brain activity, and it actually does act um, as a as a sedative, which in an immediate sense can actually make us feel, you know, more tired. So you might hear about people having like, you know, a nightcap to help them like, you know, rest or or fall asleep. So that's not wrong in that it does decrease sleep onset and can make us feel like fatigued and sleepy in in an immediate sense. But research strongly, strongly suggests that when alcohol is present in the body, essentially every phase of sleep is disrupted significantly. Your REM sleep, your deep sleep, all of it. So the quality of sleep is um, just really significantly impacted with the, the presence of alcohol. And, you know, ultimately, again, I think, you know, just thinking about people's like real life experiences here, you know, if you've, you know, had a few drinks and you sleep for, you know, eight or nine hours, you probably still wake up feeling pretty exhausted and and foggy because we're not getting actual, you know, good, good quality restful sleep and kind of going throughout all of the phases of the, the sleep cycle. With the presence of alcohol, our heart rate and body temperature are increased and they remain elevated throughout the night. So that's going to disrupt our sleep and our recovery. Melatonin levels are decreased and disrupted, um, interestingly, with the consumption of alcohol. So that's melatonin is an important um, hormone and antioxidant. It plays an important role in um, our sleep-wake cycle. And ultimately, with alcohol present, we just tend to be more restless throughout the night, um, waking up a lot more frequently. If anyone has like an aura ring or something that tracks their sleep in depth, you'll probably see this. Even if you don't remember like actually waking up at those times, you'll probably see a lot more kind of like waking points throughout the night. And in research, these impacts are seen, I'm sorry to say, um, even with just one alcoholic beverage which is crazy but it it really just just speaks to the disturbances that we've been talking about and you know the ripple effect that that has on um sleep and it's just interesting to point out too because we're again we're talking about some of the you know direct mechanisms in terms of how alcohol can impact the gut and hormones but we always talk about how sleep is the cornerstone of good health. And if sleep is disrupted, that is going to further disrupt digestion and hormones. So again, it's sort of like this, you know, vicious, vicious cycle here. So, you know, definitely some big impacts with alcohol and sleep. I also want to mention, we have a couple more, you know, kind of connections that we want to make for you because we feel so strongly it's important to understand the why and to feel really educated. But we're also going to give you some tips and, you know, tools and all the things that we found helpful working, you know, with clients and with ourselves over the years, you know, to support yourself if you do consume alcohol. So know that it's not all doom and gloom and we're going to get to some practical, you know, tips and tools here as well. I'm like, we've got one more doom and gloom about cortisol. <laughs> now we're getting to tips and tricks. <laughs> but alcohol's impact on cortisol, so this is our, our stress hormone to say it simply, uh, but chronic alcohol consumption leads to an overactive HPA axis and results in elevated glucocorticoid levels, such as cortisol, which is our, that again, that stress hormone. So these results are not necessarily due to alcohol consumption on the day, but more suggesting chronic changes of that HPA access, kind of our our brain nervous system kind of communication to the body in heavy drinking groups over time. So this is more of a chronic dynamic. 
Overall, the slope of cortisol decline has a flatter, slower decline in heavy drinkers. So cortisol stays elevated. And this indicates a reduced inhibitory control of this HPA axis, leading to more stimulated experience, stimulated HPA, and can lead to those lower melatonin levels that Jilly was just talking about. So as melatonin can only rise when cortisol levels are low. So in general, chronic alcohol consumption leads to a disruption in that circadian rhythm that we love talking about so much. And we know that the body's circadian rhythm has such a far-reaching impact on our health that this could be a, another major player for alcohol's impact on inflammation, sleep quality, hormone health, gut health, and just overall quality of life. And with that, you know, really thinking about, okay, now we've at least got the lay of the land of, you know, what's the truth to what is alcohol actually doing? Because we've heard that it's medicine when we think about it from a Mediterranean diet, or we heard that it's poison when we think about it from TikTok or whoever else is on there. And, you know, we want to recognize that if we look, you know, no alcohol is the healthiest route. Let's be, you know, just to say it bluntly here, that's that's the route. Now, Jilly and I will just share personally, we both do consume alcohol. We have a continuous development with our relationship with alcohol. And that's kind of a, you know something that we talk about, certainly focused a lot on our episode with Meg Gerber uh, about two episodes ago and that kind of curiosity around alcohol. But we do work a lot with, okay, if we you know have these areas of joy and they might involve alcohol, like what can we do for you know, support in our body through our routines, through our habits, through supplements. And that's what we're going to dive into a little bit more, giving you some actual concrete tools to kind of explore softening the collateral damage that, that alcohol might be doing to us. <laughs> I, I love I love it being put that way. And, you know, to, to kind of dive in and, and build a little bit on what Abby was just saying, you know, first, let, let's talk about, you know, quantity and frequency, recommended quantity and frequency. So to, to you know, yeah, kind of piggyback on what Abby said. Ultimately, research indicates that no no amount of alcohol is considered safe or or beneficial. Um, alcohol is a toxin at the end of the day. When we talk about you know when people talk about red you know red wine and you know antioxidants and and things from red wine. There's a lot of other places in our you know uh, our diet and foods that we can really amp up antioxidants. That's not also going to come you know along with. A, a toxin. So in my mind, I'm not encouraging clients to consume red wine to boost their their antioxidant intake. If they enjoy red wine and they enjoy alcoholic beverages and and we can make that happen within the context of, you know, really optimal health and achieving their goals and giving them the tools and tips, amazing. So, you know, so just wanted to kind of yeah, build on that piece. In terms of what the CDC defines for moderate alcohol consumption, so for women, um, that's going to be no more than one drink per sitting or five drinks per week, and for men, as no more than two drinks per sitting or 10 drinks per week. Again, this is the CDC, the Center for, Center for Disease Control kind of benchmarks. There's a lot of different guidelines and classifications you might see out there, um, different things that you see in research, and ultimately, you know, I don't feel that Abby and I are here to give you a recommendation around quantity or frequency because that is incredibly personalized. Whether or not you decide to enjoy alcohol, it's a personal decision. It's going to, you know, depend on a variety of factors including your cur- the current state of your health, where you want your health to go, your health history, your relationship with uh, and history with alcohol, your family history with alcohol. So 
you know, I think there's a lot of nuance there, you know, and we just want to call that out. But, you know, what we'll dive into now um, really is ultimately for people that do choose to enjoy alcohol in, you know, whatever frequency feels best for them. But yeah, just calling out that there's a lot of lot of nuance there in terms of kind of quantity, frequency, and decisions around, you know, drinking alcohol or not. So in terms of uh, the types of drinks we recommend. So in general, we recommend opting for higher quality um, alcohols and liquors and um, alcoholic beverages that are lower in sugar. Some of our top choices include um, hard alcohol like tequila and vodka, which can be great choices. If you are buying tequila, for example, when I say quality, or you're ordering a tequila drink out at a restaurant, always ask for tequila that is 100% agave. If it's not 100% agave, the tequila can come from uh, mixed sugars and mixed grains, which can lead to not feeling so good the next day and really amplifying um, that hangover. So hard alcohol can be a great choice, but really just um, the emphasis is on, you know, quality and maybe, you know, paying a little bit extra to get a better, better quality hard alcohol. For cocktails, we typically recommend avoiding like pre-mixed drinks and pre-mixed syrups as well as sodas for you know, the the mixy in the cocktail. Um, we already know, like Abby just described, that alcohol disrupts blood sugar in a really significant way. And if we are also adding liquid sugar into the mix in the form of the sodas or the um, sugary, you know, kind of um, uh, syrups, this can really amplify blood sugar dysregulation and not feeling so great and sort of the prolonged effects that drinking alcohol can can have on the body. In terms of what to drink your hard alcohol with, um, we recommend opting for things like soda water, seltzers as a base, and thinking about adding things like citrus, fresh herbs, or a splash of juice for flavor um, versus using, you know, juices as kind of the base of the mix. And again, this is is something too I think most people probably have experienced in terms of you're going to feel a lot better if you have a you know tequila soda with a splash of grapefruit and lime versus a pina colada that came out of like the mixy machine. Um, you know, I think everyone's experienced, you know, the alcohol combined with lots of sugar and how that does not make the body feel very good. Some other great options can be hard ciders and hard kombuchas. In that case, we always recommend looking for options that are dry or extra dry, um, which are going to be lower in sugar. Also, just read the you know ingredients you know on any of these like canned and, and bottled beverages. Look at the sugar content. You know, look for things that um, are super low sugar, simple ingredients. You know, that's always going to be a safe bet. Also, low sugar uh, wine and champagne can be great. Again, there's like such a spectrum with with quality and processing and additives when it comes to things like wine and champagne. As a go-to uh, trusted recommendation, we really like Dry Farms Wine, which is a company that sources um, organically farmed wines that are low sugar, low sulfite, uh, free of additives, and also third-party tested for things like you know mold and contaminants. So um, if you are a wine drinker, that can be a great option for kind of a a healthier alcoholic beverage. I think choosing, you know, ultimately what it is, whatever it is that you drink, I feel like there's always the question of like, well, what's the best? Like, do I drink like vodka? Do I drink like rum? Do I drink, you know, do whatever? Like if you're going to have alcohol, like ensure that you really enjoy it. And then it's like, you know, it's a drink that like hits the 
whatever you're looking for in terms of like the taste, the experience, you like slow down, you sip it, like allow that to be part of the experience and tuning into like, oh, because this is when I get to then I'm like seeing my friends or I'm like, what is it that it's around it too? Like allow that entire environment. I feel like that was something I guess when I started to like grow up with my relationship with alcohol that I like pretty much was like, I will no longer drink something that I don't find like it tastes amazing. It's the exact way that I want it to be like happy to, you know, ask someone to remake me a drink even. I'm like, I'll pay for that one. I don't care. Even though they, you know, mark up alcohol so much that nobody's losing money off of it. But I think that was like, you know, my first step personally as to like this, like, you know, if I'm going to drink something that's actually toxic to me, I'm going to make sure that like every sip is like, Ooh, that was so yummy. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Drink drink what you enjoy. Don't force yourself to drink something that, you know, you hate if you're, you're, and I, for some reason, I always go back to thinking about like, like sweets as an analogy here where, you know, if you enjoy like dessert and sweets, you know, if you're going to enjoy something that has a little bit more sugar in it, enjoy the thing that gives you 100% satisfaction, enjoy every bite of it and move on. You know, don't, don't force yourself to have like the, like low sugar, low cal, like the halo top ice cream that isn't even real ice cream and is like absolutely vile just because it's like lower sugar, lower cal and just takes all the joy out of it. Right. So, you know, choose same thing with alcohol, um, choose what you enjoy, enjoy the most and, and savor it. Perfect analogy. (laughs) Some foundational tips or foundational support here. Aim to go one-to-one or one-for-one with alcoholic to non-alcoholic beverages. This might sound like a little bit of a a pain if you've never tried this before, but I promise you it will change your life if you're not already doing this. Alcohol is a diuretic. It causes fluid and electrolyte losses, so we are very dehydrated when we drink alcohol. When we are just drinking alcoholic beverages and nothing else, we also tend to consume a lot more alcohol, often like mindlessly. So going one for one with alcoholic to non-alcoholic beverages, one helps us to rehydrate as well as slow down the pain pace of alcohol consumption. And it's pretty amazing. Abby and I were talking a lot about this when she was down here visiting me in Charleston, where we were ordering like bitters and soda at dinner. I think we went like one alcoholic drink and then three bitters and soda, like soda waters, because we really (laughs) enjoyed them. But sometimes you realize too that, you know, you keep refilling the drink because it's, you know, you want to have something you're drinking or it's the ritual, right? You want to have something in your hand. And it sometimes it it doesn't really even matter if it's the the alcoholic beverage. We'll actually talk about this more in a minute, but sometimes you just want something fun, right? So that isn't plain water. So, you know, maybe you enjoy your glass, you know, glass of wine or your fun cocktail, um, but then you have some, you know, soda water with lemon and lime or bitters or whatever your non-alcoholic beverage of choice is. That's my favorite tool ever because a glass of water just once I have a one drink, I'm like, oh, gross, like water, even though like I love water. It's like one of my favorite beverages, but it just doesn't hold any, like it doesn't even have like a mouthfeel. So it's like soda water with bitters or soda water with like lemon or even soda water with like a splash of cranberry juice or a splash of grapefruit juice or something that like for all purposes looks like you're having a cocktail. No one asks you otherwise if that's like any concern for anyone, but it's like a little bit more interesting and like can hold your attention and 
you know, and then kind of slows down that rate. It may, I think it makes such a big difference. And we get a bonus too. If we got some good quality bitters in there, then we've got some blood sugar balancing and some like digestive support. So, you know, best of both worlds there. Yes. Love it. And to kind of build on the hydration piece, if you know you are, say, going out for um, drinks with friends one night, going out for dinner where you're going to have a drink, make sure to maintain adequate hydration and to incorporate electrolytes throughout the day leading up to drinking alcohol. You will feel significantly better for doing that. I find that on weekends, oftentimes, you know, with there being less routine often than there is during the work week. Um, you know, sometimes clients will report that, you know, their fluid intake was lower or, you know, meal timing was a little bit more erratic. So sometimes it's it's helpful to kind of bring in intention to some of those anchors on the weekend, specifically things like hydration and incorporating electrolytes or minerals, you know, leading up to having alcohol. So you're already hydrated. You've really repleted minerals. And then when you get home after dinner, plan to have a big glass of water with some electrolytes, some magnesium as well afterwards. Um, Again, you know, bringing in those minerals or electrolytes to really support actually that cellular hydration when there's a diuretic present like alcohol that's, you know, depleting those. Another tip here, foundational tip eat consistently. Again, this might sound really basic, um, but this comes up a lot with clients. When you are drinking alcohol, one of the most fundamental things you can do to support your body is to make sure that you are eating regularly and that you are keeping your blood sugar stable throughout the day and night. Have a meal with your glass of wine at dinner or make sure to bring a snack with you like a salted nut mix to enjoy if you're out having a drink and, you know, there's no food available or you're not planning to get any food. Maybe you're just meeting a friend for a drink. Bring a snack with you or have a snack before you head out. Food really acts as a buffer. It's going to help to slow down the absorption of alcohol into the bloodstream. Um, It's going to keep blood sugar more stable and mitigate some of those, you know, negative side effects that, you know, we talked about a couple minutes ago. You know we are serious about high-quality supplements, and that includes probiotics. That's why we trust in BioCult every day, an expert-developed, research-backed probiotic supplement that contains 14 probiotic strains to support the diversity and abundance of the microbiome for overall health every day. Probiotics are especially a great everyday tool during cold and flu season, as our gut houses about 80% of our immune system. So what nourishes the gut nourishes our immune system. Make sure to use code YBHYB20 to enjoy 20% off the BioCult Everyday Probiotic. That like having something just even as like a good routine of like, if you know you're going to go meet friends and you're like, oh, maybe we'll get apps, like maybe we won't. It's like, just have something to eat before you go. It doesn't need to be huge, but something that's like a protein carb pairing, you will be no matter if you eat or not eat, you're going to be just like so much happier with your decision. And like, you'll get there and you're like, oh, I'm not like grumpy because I'm hungry. And like, I can go right into being social. And like a little of that like need for the alcohol is probably like softened because we've also supported our blood sugar too. Yeah. And, you know, if we end up drinking alcohol again, which is a blood sugar disruptor, and there's, you know, some unexpected, like big, long stretches of time between between eating, you know, that's also contributing to blood sugar crashes and wonkiness. And that's never going to feel good. And we usually, again, feel it, feel it later. We feel it the next day. We feel it in our sleep. So any, any ways that we can mitigate, you know, some of the blood sugar disruption and make sure that, you know, we're really nourishing adequately can, you know, make a big difference. Last couple foundational tips here. 
Aim to leave at least two hours between your last drink and bedtime. This gives your body more time to process alcohol before sleep. Unfortunately, it will not negate sleep disruption um, like we talked about, but it can definitely help to minimize some of the disruption. If we're drinking right up until the time that we are, you know, drinking alcohol right up until the time that we are going to sleep, you know, we are going to feel far worse the next day. Our sleep is going to be significantly more disrupted while the body is, you know, kind of heavily going through processing alcohol while we're asleep. So give yourself at least two hours after your last drink and your future self will thank you for it. And then lastly, aim to keep your sleep schedule fairly similar in terms of your bedtime and wake-up time. The bedtime, I, I know, is a can be a trickier one, especially if you have social plans. You know, we don't expect clients are going to, like, run home and, you know, skip out on having fun with their friends or their, their family to, like, maintain their bedtime that they do during the week. Ideally, a consistent schedule is going to be most ideal. But the big thing we would recommend focusing on is just maintaining that consistent wake-up time. That is really going to help with minimizing disruptions to circadian rhythms and specifically that cortisol awakening response that we talked about in the car episode this season. So keep your wake up time consistent. If you need to take a nap a little bit later in the day, um, we encourage that. But um, the consistency with the wake up time can um, really provide a lot of stability for the body. It's always just a <laughs> when you're like out and your aura rings like your bedtime is approaching. You're like, I just sat down to dinner. <laughs> It's like, oh my. Damn it. Yeah. I'm like, I'm really, like, really out of sync on these evening nights. But yeah, the waking up at the same time is a, is a big difference. And then kind of like gentle morning. And then, yeah, like take a little cat nap like later in the day or even just kind of do some like reading or something like low, like a little like rest moment. And it can make a, a world of difference. All right, so to dive into some bonus tools that we like to use both personally and professionally with clients to help soften the impacts of alcohol on the body. Again, that being said, these tools won't make it like you never drank in the first place, but they can help to the body to process with that kind of less collateral damage and mitigate some of severity in like hangover symptoms. So the first category of support are detox support products. So the goal is to help better support the process of alcohol detoxification, predominantly through our kind of phase two detoxification process in the liver. So some of our favorite products for that are one called Amino Detox by Designs for Health. And it's a blend of amino acids that help to promote that phase two detoxification. Liver GI Detox by Pure Encapsulations. These are some specific supplements that kind of we use with clients. And that's a blend of amino acids, anti-inflammatories, and some key nutrients to support those detox pathways in both the gut and the liver as a way to, as well as kind of reducing inflammation overall. Castor oil packs are very helpful, a great gentle way to support detoxification as well as reduce inflammation. And we've talked about these in past episodes. Our favorite company to recommend uh, for castor oil packs are Queen of Thrones castor oil packs that are kind of a, a one and done system. And then another category kind of in that same detox, but this idea of binders, which help to kind of mop up inflammatory byproducts and irritants from the processing of alcohol and the existence of alcohol in the body. Uh, there's a specific one called GI Detox from Biocidin, and it's a blend of activated charcoal, bentonite clay, and other mineral binders that can be taken at bedtime in order to kind of bind up those waste products uh, overnight. 
And then another is Biotoxin Binder by Cellcor, which is a carbon-based binder that helps to bind inflammatory irritants. So some specific products, many of these are available through practitioner, kind of ordering through supplement from practitioners. Both Jillian and I have access to those through some of our kind of supplement guides and things you can access through our websites or through Instagram um, if you're interested in kind of acquiring those specific products through some like trusted retailers. The second category that we want to think about supporting, especially for anyone who experiences more of those digestive and gut symptoms as part of having alcohol, is supporting the gut lining. So we've got some of our favorite products here kind of initially. GI Resolve or GI Response, two similar products, just slightly different. Both of them contain key amino acids, particularly glutamine, as well as soothing mucilagin. So those help with our barrier system in the gut, the kind of comfy, cozy, soothing barrier system, as well as anti-inflammatories that all help to rebuild, strengthen, and soothe the gut barrier, reducing that gut permeability and leaky gut that we talked about, kind of alcohol increasing the potential for. Another type of supplement is called immunoglobulins. Specifically, we love a product called Mega IgG 2000 by Microbiome Labs, more popular now on like Instagrams like Armra, same category. That's kind of a colostrum, which has immunoglobins built into it. So that one's a little bit familiar of like a trending product, I guess, that a little expensive, but you know, yeah, a little overpriced. It's very overpriced for what you get, just (laughs) FYI, everybody. (laughs) But essentially what those do is they help to support the immune system in the gut, as well as play a role in strengthening the gut barrier and reducing, reducing and helping to repair any of that kind of broken gut barrier, leaky gut dynamic. And they're very soothing for the gut and even can help mitigate some of like kind of more acute like loose stools and discomfort in the GI system. More food-based, bone broth is a wonderful whole food that's rich in minerals and amino acids that helps to soothe and rebuild that gut barrier can just be like very like cozy and comforting. Aloe vera is a potent anti-inflammatory and soothes irritated mucosal membranes. So from that kind of exposure to alcohol and is really great, especially if someone's experiencing like Uh, heartburn or just irritation in the GI system, burning symptoms, kind of post-drinking the following day, that would be a great thing to mix into water. George's aloe is one of my, kind of Jillian, one of our favorites that has no taste or texture or anything and nice and mixes into water very easily. Another category of food-based are prebiotics and probiotics. Uh, to help to prevent the shift of any microbiome disruptions and kind of maintain our healthy intestinal bacteria that really actually can independently metabolize alcohol, reducing some of the level of inflammatory byproducts for kind of from that exposure of alcohol. So a diet rich in fermented foods. So those are our sauerkraut, our kimchi, um, as well as prebiotic fibers. So we can think about all kinds of categories of fruits and vegetables, specific emphasis on maybe resistant starches like cooked and cooled rice or potatoes, and things like asparagus, sunchokes, leeks, oats, tiger nut flour, as well as we can use some more functional fibers like sun fiber or acacia fiber that can be added to things like water or smoothies or coffee or matcha to increase the food sources for those beneficial bacteria. And then our last little kind of food-based category here of like as needed are tools like ginger, which really in any form from like a tea to a little ginger shot to ginger chews to the ginger people's uh, like liquid ginger can help to reduce symptoms of like nausea, upset stomach, heartburn, just kind of indigestion in general, as well as bitters. 
which again, you know how much we love, um, but those can help again, kind of soothing any of that like indigestion symptoms. Or sometimes if you're like, I can't tell whether I'm like hungry or overly full, like those can be really helpful to help to in a way like regulate appetite a little bit or kind of create more effective digestion uh, and then support some of that blood sugar uh, post-digestion too. Amazing. Such such great tools. And in all honesty, Abby and I utilize most of these, uh, you know, personally, but also recommend a lot of these, you know, whole, wholeheartedly to clients. Of course, you're always going to want to check with your practitioner provider before starting any, you know, supplements, binders, things like that. But these are things that we truly use, you know, day in and day out in our, our own lives for various reasons, but can provide support, you know, if we are drinking alcohol, but, um, you know, also recommend um, to clients and, and, you know, build out in their toolkits as well. Yeah. And, and we definitely utilize personally like a combination between both the food and the supplements. Um, you know, when we think about like we're imbibing a toxin in a higher level, that's where like a supplement really does kind of like come onto the forefront of like, we just put a burden, an elevated burden into the body. Let's put an elevated concentration of something that's going to help to rebalance it, which, you know, food sources can be wonderful tools at, but that's also kind of the method of supplements to be able to put like a very concentrated amount of something that's matching, you know, whatever's being kind of done or trying to neutralize, I guess would be a better, a better perspective. So just a little bit of where, you know, where those tools come from a both like supplement and food. That's a great point. I love, I love the emphasis on the combination of, of both of these things. So, so to, you know, kind of wrap up today, now we have a much deeper understanding of the, science behind how alcohol impacts our body, our gut, our hormones. We have some really incredible like foundational um, tips and tools as well as, you know, supplements, uh, micro strategies with foods, all sorts of really wonderful things we can utilize to support the body, give it some extra TLC if we are enjoying any alcohol. In terms of diving deeper into the relationship with alcohol and, you know, some of the nuance there, we would definitely encourage you to check out episode 33 that we did with the wonderful Meg Gerber, who shared all about her sober curious journey. In general, I think what we would like to leave you with is to to just get curious, um, really to encourage that, to assess your relationship with alcohol, you know, how it's serving you, how it isn't serving you, um, and to approach that process without judgment. We talk a lot about that in the episode with Meg, um, you know, if that's of interest to you. But do you have any parting parting words, Abby, in this alcohol episode? Yeah, I think the the curiosity around it and just recognizing, you know, at any point if, you know, alcohol takes away from your like your day the next day if it starts to impede on the quality of life that you live the ways that you show up like that's really where we want to get curious and and getting curious about our finding our sweet spot so where you know all or nothing like dry january or like you know soaking wet february it's kind of like is there a middle ground between both of those where I don't have to be zero, but I also don't have to be, you know, just kind of allowing alcohol to like run my life. That's a little bit more of a personalized question and kind of for some people complicated answer. But I think it's always worth to just like reflect and to just never stop that curiosity, as Jilly said, because it's definitely a, you know, it's a substance and having a big history in like my family with alcohol, I'm kind of constantly in that like reflection and took a long time, I think, in my own personal relationship to get to like where I am. And is my relationship with alcohol perfect? Absolutely not. But it's certainly in kind of the best place it's been 
probably for my whole life. And that took, you know, a lot of self-reflection and definitely utilizing these tools and, and all those things. So just a, a good thing to know that you're not alone because, you know, we're all kind of thinking about it probably if that's, uh, that's why dry January is a thing. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Your Body Has Your Back podcast. If you enjoyed today's podcast episode, please take a minute to leave us a five-star review and make sure to share the podcast with a friend or family member that you think might benefit from listening. Make sure to follow the Your Body Has Your Back Instagram and to share your favorite episodes. And definitely tag us as you start to live out the Your Body Has Your Back lifestyle. We can't wait to see it. If you're looking for more support on your gut and hormone healing journey, connect with Abby and I over on Instagram. You can follow Abby at Above Health and you can follow me, Jillian, at Jillian Greaves RD. Thank you and see you in the next episode.